Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie, and I am Leslie Harris, and Christmas is coming. Our plant of the week is red with green leaves. You can't get any more Christmassy than that. We'll be talking with Steph Green, who's going to help us understand more about how to make your holiday containers just primo. And lastly, our playlist will include further tips on pruning and adding to the holiday festivities. You may have seen me taking great swaths of my front borders off to the compost pile recently on Instagram. I do this because it makes me happy. And I know that except for the front part of my garden, there will be lots of untouched habitat for native bugs and bees to snuggle up in all winter long in other parts of my garden. I love this new, well, new-ish, kind of new to me because I've been gardening for a long time, understanding of how leaving things, leaving the leaves, leaving old perennial stalks, leaving a general mess is better for your little world, better for the beasties, better for your soil, possibly better for your sciatica, if that's a thing for you. It's better than going full Edward Scissorhands and getting everything down to the nubbins of brown mulch. That being said, it's my garden, it's my playground, and I am happier to do that thing on my tidy front path. I have these crazy green meatballs, I mean, green meatballs or shrubs. In this case, they're Japanese hollies, the Cronata types that look like boxwoods. And they literally disappear beneath five foot tall perennials all season long. I have that wonderful Salvia guaranitica. Then the Jindai aster sort of finishes up the season. Oh, and in between there's the tall Phlox paniculata and September is the Japanese anemone. They all take their turns in that border and they're all really tall. And I just sort of forget about those little green meatballs, which by the time they're emerged, they're quite messy and hairy and they need a haircut. I know I say to take it easy on pruning at this time of year. I can guarantee you that these guys will not die. I've tried to kill them and it didn't work. And we'll get to more of that in a little while. It's actually kind of interesting. Well, I mean, mildly interesting. Don't get all excited because I inherited these hollies when I moved here seven years ago, and they were definitely not on my list of gotta have plants. They were misshapen, overgrown, but they were covering real estate. And I had a lot of real estate that I wanted to cover. You know, I just was, I had to begin someplace. So they weren't the most terrible things to keep. I thought I might be able to like them if I could make them behave. So I cut them down to the nubbins. This is a strategy called rejuvenation pruning. And I'm going to talk more about it when we get to the last section of the show called the playlist. So the point of this diatribe is to say that I like a different look for the front borders in winter than I do in summer. Winter, low, calm, punctuated by green meatballs, and the spare architecture of a few other shrubs and trees. Summer, exuberant, full, no mulch, no green meatballs to be seen anywhere. It's just flowers. I also like a different look in the front of my house than I do in the back. You should think about what you like, and you should garden accordingly. But I'm hopeful that if neat is your aesthetic, like it is for me, that you can be intentionally messy in some parts of your garden to help out nature, because it really is a gift that you give not only to your little bit of earth, but also to yourself because of the bugs and the birds that will come. The plant of the week is the red twig dogwood. The botanical name is the Cornus cerisea, and it's also known as the red osier dogwood. Osier is the botanical name for willow. And I guess willow trees get that red bit. Anyway, that's just another common name. Red twig dogwood is how almost anybody would know about it. It's an easy common name that doesn't kind of mess you up. Although there are a couple of different species. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm going to go with the basic Cornus cerisea. This is native to most of North America. Yay! 
it's a shrub. Um, it's a very woody shrub. It can get tall. It can get big. It can get like eight by eight in the wild. But if you use it like I do, it just will never get that big. And I'll tell you why in a moment. It grows in zones three through eight. So that means most of the darn country. I mean, we're talking about most everything except for Cali and Florida and Southern, Southern, Southern. So it can grow over most of the United States, which is wonderful. Um, there are yellow twig dogwoods too, but I'm going to stay with the Christmas theme today. Some people grow the yellow twig dogwoods and the red twig dogwoods together with good effect. But for my part, I seem to be only thinking of one thing when I see yellow and red in the garden together, and that is a McDonald's. It's a shortcoming of mine. I clearly can't unsee the golden arches. I do love to patronize the Scottish restaurant. It's not that. I really, I love my shakes and my, and my quarter pounders with cheese. I think their fries are very good. I just don't want to think of my fast food guilty pleasure while I'm in the garden, so I don't plant things like that together. So this is very upright, suckering thing. It doesn't branch out like a vase. It basically comes up from the ground. So it has a really cool effect in winter when it's just red sticks coming out of the ground. Very dramatic. It can take damp soil, which can be helpful, but it's also fine in normal soil too. It's deer resistant. It can help with erosion. It has tiny white flowers in spring that attract pollinators. It can be susceptible to a few pests like canker and leaf spots and stuff, but nothing truly dramatic, nothing that should make you say, oh, I'm not getting that. It's great. It's so great if it's grown in mass. You know, like I said, the drama of those red sticks coming up from the earth. If you have a lot of property, just let it go. Older trunks start to turn brown. So the way to keep the redness of it is to cut out the older ones or just to basically cut on it a little bit each year. Winter or spring is a great time to do this, but come on, we want these red twigs for Christmas decorations. So again, I say not to prune at this time of year, and you don't want to prune anything really heavily unless you're testing to see whether it might die because you may, maybe you don't want it. We'll talk, that's the rejuvenation pruning. We'll talk about that later. Um, but it's okay to trim up some things for your Christmas decorations and go ahead and snip a few of your reddest stalks if you do have the red twig dogwood in your yard and stick them into a pot. Hey, do you know that sometimes I found this as an experiment? I did that um, first couple of years I lived here. And so, you know, these are twigs sitting in soil that are just holding them in place. It's not a live plant. But a couple of them always root for me because, you know, the rain comes and the soil stays moist. Chances are decent by the time you get through with your decorations at the end of the winter, you're going to have a new plant because they do tend to root. So spring is beautiful, fresh foliage with the little flowers. Fall, the ovate leaves turn to orange and then purple before departing. So that's gorgeous. And winter, I mean, we've talked about this. I'll put a photograph on my blog this week. It is just amazing. If you are so needy that you must have summer interest, and it, it is actually kind of a green blob in summer, you just don't notice it really. But there's a solution, and it is to get yourself the variegated type, which is not a Cornus cerisiae, but actually a Cornus alba. And the cultivar to look for is Elegantissima, and you will be coddled and spoiled for all four seasons. This is Into the Garden with Leslie, and coming up, we're talking with Steph Green of Contain Creations in Richmond about how to decorate for the holidays outside. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie, and I am very excited to have another lovely repeat guest on the show, and it is Steph Green. And we are, we're sitting here, we're just, we're finishing up fall, we're surrounded by fall leaves, but we know that everybody like gets done with those Thanksgiving day dishes and starts to think about Christmas. So Steph is here to help us out with Contain Creations and her Contain Creations and her lovely business and give us some Christmas ideas 
what to do to decorate the outside of your home. Thank you, Steph, for coming on. Oh my gosh, always an honor and my pleasure. We're going to have some fun here. Um, You've had a great fall, but it was stuffed into a very short season. I was talking to Steph before we hit record and I'm like, how was your fall? And she said, I hate fall. you don't really it's well, just I, don't really hate fall. I, I didn't love my fall season it was it was so compressed I'm trying to fit you know trying to find the best plants in this teeny tiny window between 80 degrees and 50 degrees and oh it, it was a struggle so so moving on moving on but but you did say that it wouldn't be a struggle for now like now that I'm just a personal gardener for myself you just keep shopping pleasantly and, and until you get what you want it's just a pain for you because you got to do that time 60. yes exactly <laughs> all right but moving on to Christmas so how are you feeling about Christmas are you wrapping your head around it I I am wrapping my head around it I am excited to get going I have Lots of great materials in stock, lots of great stuff ordered and hopefully on a truck on its way to me. So I've been thinking about this stuff since early July. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully what I have ordered is all going to come in and we are going to make beautiful things. And if it doesn't all make it in, we will get creative and we'll do some foraging and, and it, it's going to be great. (laughs) I remember my sister, not sister Sue Ann, but sister Kim used to work for Kaspari for years and years. And um, I would call her just randomly in the summer. How are you doing? What's going on? Oh, I'm pretty busy. It's Christmas. It was July, Christmas. You know how that is. So you already did Christmas, but now you're ready to put it into place. So what are some of your favorite things to do for an outdoor look? And let's talk about containers first, as opposed to garlands and that kind of thing. What what are your favorite combos? Yeah. So my favorite thing to do, it is the easiest thing to do. The longest lasting thing to do is to put an evergreen in a planter. You can go formal and pricey. You can get a boxwood, get a beautiful ball, like a green velvet boxwood or a beautiful pyramidal conical shape. Like a, I feel like green mountain is maybe one that I've used and it goes all the way. I mean, there are so many small, slow growing evergreens that you guys can put in planters. You can find them at your high end garden centers. You can find them at Home Depot and Lowe's. Sometimes you can find them at your grocery store. So they are everywhere. And I, I love to use them because you get that like great winter color lasts all season long. I do want you to water it and we can talk about watering, but you can actually, you know, plant it in your pot or you can just keep it in its own container and plop it in your pot and surround it, insulate it. But I mean, gosh, you guys add lights to it and it's so festive. You can dress the base of it. You could put mulch on it. You can put moss on it. You can tuck evergreen branches around there. You can put ornaments around there pine cones, anything you find, anything you have around the house or anything you buy. It's so easy, so quick. You can dress it up for the holidays and then dress it back down, take all that festive stuff off and just have your plant there until it's time to add, you know, pansies in the spring or, or, you know, pull it out and plant it in your yard and then add something tropical for the summer. So easiest, quickest, most affordable, hands down, my favorite way to do a Christmas planter. Yeah, that, I like that. And it's um, it does read Christmas, especially if it's in the shape of that conical thing or the pyramid. You know, come spring, you tuck some bright colored pansies around there, the same plant, and it doesn't read Christmas anymore. Take the lights off. I think we take the lights. Right. Probably so. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah, that is one of my favorite 
favorite things to do. Your cut greens that are coming in, what kind of, what are your favorites to work with? I'm going to use those in a couple of different ways. The most typical way is what I call just a mounded arrangement. And the way I approach the mounded arrangement is I kind of build a framework with my stiffest, shortest needled evergreens. So um, noble fir is great. Long branches of noble fir, they are, they're kind of stiff. You can get longer ones, you can get shorter ones, but they just, they kind of hold, hold the structure of the arrangement. So I'll kind of build like a, almost a mound of those. Um, and then I'll go back in with maybe some Fraser fir. I don't use a lot of pine. I have found over the last couple of years, the longer the needle, the faster it dries out and browns. Something oh, about, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Something about the water getting through the needles. So um, I love noble fir. Fraser fir can be a little wimpy. What else? Oh, there's a new one called Nordman fir that I've just started seeing. It's it's like a, a nice, rich forest green, and it's uh, really kind of shrubby, bushy branches, um, but really fills an arrangement quickly. And it's kind of tough, and it lasts a long time. So I'm using stuff like that to kind of build my build my base, and then I might think use things like. Um, an incense cedar that has a nice drape to it that goes around the edge. You know, if you're thinking thriller, filler, spiller, yeah. Um, you know, my thriller is going to be the tallest piece like that, that noble fur. My filler is going to be some softer things like maybe the Fraser. Um, what else do I use? Oh my gosh. I'll forage cryptomeria. Oh, that's a beautiful one. It is beautiful. It's kind of got those long plumes, but the plumes themselves are comprised of all the little needles. And I feel like that holds up really well. Oh my gosh, magnolia leaves. Oh yeah. They're beautiful. beautiful. And I love getting that brown leathery underside. So if you can, if you have the variety or you can get the variety that has that brown leathery underside, it's just, it's so earthy and gives you such a good contrast next to all the greenery. I mean, it basically was designed by that color scheme with the green and the brown was basically designed by Ralph Lauren. I'm, I'm thinking he did that. I think you're right. Yeah, I'm I think pretty sure. Right. Um, all right. So then you're going to, you can actually have a bunch of color, even if you stay green, because there's the gray green and the blue green and the, the different textures. Um, well, let's go back to the greens that are coming in. And by the way, for home gardeners, like I'm never going to order greens to come in the mail. I'm just going to walk around my yard, but you can do either. You know, Steph has a lot of people that she has to deal with. So she's not going to, she's not going to be able to forage everything. Um, But what do you do when the greens come in or you have these greens in your hand and you want to make them last as long as possible. And sometimes in a shady spot away from wind, they could last to March with sun and wind they'll, they'll desiccate and you could redo, but what do you do to make things last? Yes. And it's all about kind of the quantities and the size of things that I've gotten. The largest things that I get things like spruce tips where they're basically like very small trees that they have cut down or the very tops of trees that they've cut off. And, And those are great for framework, but they're pricey. And I tend to buy the larger ones to be the centerpiece of my arrangements. Those I give a fresh cut and I stand in water immediately. So as soon as those come in, I'm out there with my loppers or pruners cutting, you know, a nice little angled cut. And then I have huge tubs and I'm soaking them in water. So, but for the home gardener, even if you're foraging, or even if you've picked stuff like that up at your local nursery, do the same thing, give it a fresh cut and put it in water, just get it a drink. So that's the first thing I do. And then the second thing I do, um, and I'm finding wilt proof and anti-desiccant is becoming more expensive and harder to come by, like everything. But I will do that for a, uh, 
if I've got like my noble fir branches. So things that aren't as big, things I can easily dunk, um, we'll mix up a huge tub of wilt proof and water, dunk them, shake them off, and then let them dry in the shade. I mean, it doesn't have to be in the shade. I just want them to dry off before I start stacking them back up to, to store and sit and be ready. Cause I can't keep everything in water and I can't put anti-desiccant on everything. But yeah. if I were the home gardener, I would give everything a good drink and then put wilt proof all over it. And if you don't do wilt proof in advance, I do that to, because we kind of have some time before the season starts. So I'm trying to prep things. You can buy wilt proof in a spray bottle. And yep. after you make your arrangement, I'll tend to like take an old sheet or some burlap or something and wrap it around the pot and then just spritz the whole thing. And I tell my clients to get themselves some and do that throughout the season. Yep. It makes good sense. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. We've got Steph Green from Contain Creations in Richmond, Virginia, back for another, she's doing a little dance on the Zoom right now, um, back for another fun chat because get, guess what? It is almost Christmas time. All right. So let's talk about how you hold the things in place. Now, LH Gardens used to do this back when, before I, when I was a professional gardener and not just my personal gardener, but what I'll do is I'll just rip out, you know, whatever um, annuals were there, leave the soil. And that's my base. So I'm using my, uh, I'm using my soil, which is now probably kind of dry, but you know, these are outside pots, so they will get watered, so to speak by nature every once in a while. And it's the perfect way to hold these things in place. Is that is that what you do or do you have any other suggestions? Yes. So that is what I do. So I will, we'll swoop in and take out whatever stuff is in the planter, assuming we're not incorporating it. And there are some plants that we will incorporate. You know, we may keep, I love it, like a good Osaka white cabbage to go through the winter. It's gorgeous against evergreens and red berries, but let's assume I'm totally clearing out a pot I keep as much of the, the old soil as I can and may put some new stuff in and we mound it. Oh, we mound it. We wet it and we tamp it down as much as we can. I want like a really, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Dense, tight mound of soil because I want that to hold onto these branches. What's the idea with the mounding? And so let's describe for listeners if the mound is, so, so you're making kind of like a top of a basketball in a round urn, say, we can all picture yeah, that. It can go, you know, two to three inches above the top of, no way. of the rim because I want to cheat, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to get my middle piece, my centerpiece as tall as I can. And it's hard if you like, unless you have a really, really long branches. So sometimes we just have to fudge it. If, if I've got long enough pieces, you know, fine, but I don't need to do that. But generally, See, this, is why, this is why I'm doing this podcast. So I learn stuff. This is amazing. I had never thought about that. And it's just, you're going back it? into business. I'm going back. No, no, I'm not. Uh, but I'll tell Abby about it. That is so smart to mound it up. Okay. So you got your soil and you really wet it and you really like tamp it down like a real tight little sandcastle. Yes. Yeah. And so then I'm going to start with, like I said, my toughest branches. So let's, we're doing mounded greens. I'm going to put one in the middle and let's assume we're doing a round pot one in the middle. I want a 360 degree vantage point. So, and then I'm going to start poking, you know, if we're a clock, it's going to, you know, I'm going to poke one at 12, one at six, one at nine, one at three. And closer to the center, because those are kind of my bigger, stronger pieces. And think, think radiating out from the center. Don't just make a fan uh -huh. because from the side, that's going to look skimpy. 
You want pieces poking out from the center, going forward, going to the sides and going back. And you may have put those in and you need those to be stable because it's going to be a while before that soil really freezes and holds them in place. So okay. get your framework really stable. You may have to go back in and, and pat down the soil around each piece. But if it doesn't feel stable to you as you're putting it in, take it out, push the soil down, wet it again, whatever you need to do. You just need it to stay in place. You want it to feel strong and tough. Okay. All right. So we've got the nature things and the foraging and, and listeners, I'm going to talk more about, see, I'm the cheap and thrifty gardener. So um, <laughs> I'm not in the business anymore. I'm another niche. Another niche. I'll be walking around my yard for you on Instagram um, in the next few weeks just saying, oh yeah. And how about this? This looks pretty good. But again, Steph is, she's, you know, she's got this business. These people want the glitz. They want some sparkle. They want some glitter. So tell me about this, the sparkly bits that you make. All right. So the best way to get non-traditional color and some sparkle into your arrangement is, I'm sorry, Leslie, but you got to shop for it. No. You're going to have to buy it. All right. I mean, you could craft it, I guess. You can buy glitter and glue, but, but just buy it. Let's go shopping. Yeah, let's go shopping. So... Um, once you have kind of filled your, either you've put a, an, a little evergreen, a little conifer in your pot, or you've made this gorgeous mound of greens, you've mixed in some magnolia. Next, you need like your, you need your bling, right? So I love glitter pine cones. Love, love, love glitter pine cones. And, uh, you know, I, I buy them by the case. Um, you can make them, you can, you know, kind of roll your pine cone in a paper plate full of glue and sprinkle glitter on it. You know, have a little assembly line. It's a great craft project with kids. The key I think is to get those cones on picks because just nestling them in at the base of your arrangement is cute, but I want to lift it up. I want some of that fun sparkle up higher. I want to see it from the street. I want people to see it as they walk up. I don't want you to have to kind of get up close and be looking underneath the branch. And not, to, not to mention a stiff wind might do away with these things. <laughs> exactly. Or a critter. Yeah. So, so I love glitter. I love glittery cones. Um, I love to add some color in there. We in the container gardening industry buy ornaments on picks, but your colors are pretty limited. There's gold, there's silver, there's red. And that's about it. I love blush pink, peacock blue, aqua, purple. I love champagne. Sometimes I can only find like the real yellowy gold and I want more of a champagne-y gold. You can buy those cheapo shatterproof ornaments. Um, there's a store here we have here in Richmond called At Home. You can buy them online at Amazon. You can go to Walmart, like anywhere you can find those guys. All you have to do is get crafty. So- Buy these balls, pull off that little gold top with the hook on it. Take a, a wooden florist pick, a twig from outside, whatever you want. Put a dollop of hot glue gun on there and stick it into the hole that's left in the ornament when you took that top off. Just make sure it's nice and stable. Let it dry and boom, you have your own ornament pick. It is so easy. My daughter, Courtney, who's 13 now, like she loves Christmas season because she loves like putting on her roller skates, roller skating around the garage with me while I am gluing ornaments. <laughs> Sounds like a good scene. You better put that on Instagram. I think. And we is. have Christmas music playing for sure. Oh, that's um, so good. But yeah. So when I want to get think outside of the box and do like a different color scheme, 
I mean, it's, you can pick whatever you want and you can make that match your wreath. That is so critical. You guys, your pots should match your wreath. Okay. All right. We're going to come back in a minute. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. We're talking with Steph Green of Contain Creations in Richmond, Virginia, about winter decorations outside. Okay, so we got the glitzy part done. We're all we're all sparkly and glitzy. Let's go back a little bit to nature and tell me about, although you know, we sort of left off for a moment there about wreaths. We're gonna get to that in a minute, but let's go back to foraging just for a minute. You want you can walk around your own yard, your own yard, right, Steph? Yeah, yeah. No national don't, parks. No, no national. Don't, don't be making don't be making hate with the neighbors by wandering <laughs> and stealing their moths. Right, so what you got for foraging? Okay, so a couple things that I love for foraging, and and like you said, I don't do a ton of it, but there are some beautiful, inspiring things out there. Moss is one of them. Walking through the woods, um, you can kind of like in these deep shady spots. There's amazing moss. I mean, gosh, you can use moss as mulch. So if you put an evergreen in a pot, just put that finishing touch at the base of it and grab some clumps of moss and kind of tuck them in around. It's such a great natural look. And it just shows like you really know what you're doing because you finished up that arrangement. Some other things we talked about um, magnolia leaves, adding that extra kind of level of texture and the brown suede feel to them, to the undersides. Something else that we find around here a lot is ligustrum, ligustrum in arrangements, and it's so tough and so shiny and can give you that height I'm talking about that's difficult to get if you don't have really long pieces. So love ligustrum. I just have to interrupt you because a couple of weeks ago, I, I put that plant on my hate list. <laughs> but I do love it. I mean, it's exactly what you say. It's it's unfortunately it's native to Asia, and unfortunately it is spreading into our forests. So it's taking up native. So it's invasive. It's well, invasive. all the more reason to cut it exactly. down. Cut, cut away, baby. Cut, <laughs> cut, cut. Make all your decorations. Make make ligustrum garlands. Make a ligustrum tree. <laughs> Get rid of it, make it beautiful, and then off to the compost pile with you. Okay. I, but, love but it. <laughs> I love it. I think the last thing, the last bit of foraging that I recommend will segue nicely into wreaths is um, I learned this at a wreath workshop I went to years ago. I love a, like a mix of some glitz and some natural elements. So you can take a natural wreath and go outside and find like kind of a nubby, not too kind of a short stick that's got some lichen or some moss growing on it or has really cool bark, just something that is just earthy. And you can wire that to your wreath or hot glue gun it or however you can stick it on there. And then take one of those little like gorgeous faux birds. It could be a cardinal. It could be a pheasant. Anything you have like laying in a Christmas box that you just don't know what to do with, you can wire that onto that little twig tuck some moss in around there to hide your wires. And it is just, it's the most interesting natural surprise when someone gets up close to your door and sees like, oh my gosh, look at this great, this great little arrangement, how creative. And it feels so natural and you found it in your yard. So fantastic. And it really is important to go for the details right at that wreath that it's going to end up being six inches away from the people's nose as they're knocking on the door to get some of your Christmas cheer. So that's really important. And so um, matching up like a, a beautiful doorway arrangement might be some garlands, a wreath, urns, that kind of thing. Tell us what, tell us what you like to see. Yeah. So I like to see my anal side comes out, but I like consistency. Mm -hmm. So if you 
have a faux wreath that's been in the sun for years and years and has totally faded. Probably time to ditch that and get get something fresh and and either buy a fresh wreath like a live made of live greens or get yourself a there's some really great artificial stuff out there right now. Just pay attention to ha- the status of your current inventory. Don't don't hang something up that just says I pulled this out of the box and threw it on the door and I didn't care about it. Like if you're going to put something on your door, you got to put some effort into it. Even if you have a a faux wreath, let's make sure it's in good shape, make sure it's looking good, it's fresh, it's it's green, not faded blue plasticky green. Make sure it's looking good. And then let's figure it, let's look at your planters flanking that door that are, you know, we don't want some super earthy natural arrangement if what you've got is a wreath that is all faux, glittery, glitzy ribbons and and balls and picks and things like that. So make sure your wreath is a good looking wreath. And then let's pull some of the elements from your wreath down into your pot. So if your wreath is hot pink and light pink and red and silver, what I would recommend is create your greens arrangement, but then do some, mimic some of those colorful accents, make yourself some picks, get yourself some gorgeous glittery ribbon that matches and make a bow and put it in your arrangement. So just tie it all together so you're not dealing with like earthy natural pine cones and magnolia here and then like faded target you know (laughs) you make it sound so great I know I know but I think we all get so busy right and we get into our routine and someone runs to the attic and grabs the Christmas box and slaps everything up there And that's fine. But if you want that really like lush, welcoming, high-end look, think about it a little bit. (laughs) Just put your brain to this. (laughs) I I like the consistency thing. Yeah, you could. And, you know, if if somebody's using a side door and you really wanted to go earthy there, someplace out of sight, okay, this is my country look, or you know, and this is my glitzy look. By the way, that those four colors that you just named, now let's do that again. You said dark pink, light pink, red, and silver, or was it white? Yeah, silver. silver. Not my comfort zone, Leslie. I, I would never picture those four colors together. And then they were flashing through my head. And I'm like, that's crazy. I mean, I bet it looks good. There is a, it's like a, a retail, like a consignment shop here in Richmond called Verve. And she has become famous for doing these like over the top wreaths. I mean, things that you would just not think of but you if you're driving around town it's like you know when you see a verb wreath on the door you can (laughs) see it from the street but you probably see it from the moon like it catches light and it is joyful and fun and i i will tell you i have you know i probably have about 35 holiday clients and i have two of those actually have verve reads. And so um, you have to, if the verve reef is made by somebody else, you have to work to match it. Is that what you do? Yes. Cool. I mean, I, I kind of insist on it. I asking people, do you have a wreath that you use? And they'll go up into, and this is usually in like, you know, September, October, and they'll go up to the attic and take a picture of it and send it to me. Or I have another client who's getting verve to update it right now. 
And so I'll get a picture of that as soon as it's done. And then I'll look through my inventory and see what I have that can kind of coordinate with, with her new look. So it's fun and it, it kind of forces you outside your comfort zone. I, I'm not a red and pink kind of girl. Neither am I, but it just sounded intriguing. <laughs> and I also loved your color combinations. The ones you mentioned, like with the aqua, you know, the peacock blue and the champagne. And, and those sounded really like sophisticated and outside red and green. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, red and green is beautiful and traditional. Yeah. But if you want to push yourself a little bit. Hey, so just speaking of Instagram and inspiration, Insta, Insta, um, mm-hmm. can you think of any... <laughs> Did I just make that up? I don't um, know, but it was good. Can you <laughs> think of any hashtags that people might want to follow to, to get besides contain creations? Um, oh gosh, let's see. I mean, oh yeah. So any of these would be hashtags. I mean, uh, Christmas, holiday decor, outdoor decor, outdoor, yeah. um, Christmas containers, winter containers, um, Reads of Instagram. Reads of Instagram. I bet that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Our listeners might be better at this than I am. So I don't know. <laughs> I'll that up. But just in case you want to, because I really do think uh, we had mentioned earlier that, that it's a really searchable, you know, platform and we love it because it's so cheerful and doesn't get, you know, we, we're, we're Instagram girls. We love that thing. I love that stuff. Hey, I thought of one more thing. If, um, if there's time to include this. There is someone else. I mean, just speaking about how much we love Instagram, there is a feed, uh, an account, the Hunt Country Gardeners. I don't know if you follow them. Gardening business up in the D.C., Northern Virginia area. And I'm kind of obsessed with some window boxes that she did last year. And I'm hoping she does them again. We talk about, we've talked about foraging. We've talked about shopping, you know, for glitz and color. she's going to the farmer's market and the grocery store and she is adding cabbage heads, pomegranates, pineapple, apples. And this is not your Williamsburg perfect arch of apples and pineapples and lemons above the front door. This is like mounded green arrangement like I would do, but she's got cabbage heads in there and pineapples. And it's it's amazing. I'm not doing it justice. You guys all have to go we check that out. Are we going to feel hungry when we go start to look at this? Well, stuff? I feel like the, so she's different business model, right? She's going back every week or two to check on this stuff. So oh, she can replace her produce. With the extra, with the extra <laughs> pomegranates because somebody ate them. Yeah. The squirrels have attacked it or I don't know, any stray goats that may be wandering around. <laughs> but that's a good one. Hunt Country Gardeners. I'll put that in. Steph, thank you so much. I love talking with you. I mean, listeners, um, I didn't even hit record. <laughs> we, we chatted for 20 minutes before we even hit record on this thing. Uh, so thank you so much for chatting with me. Always a pleasure. I love it. I always look forward to it. Thank you for having me. Good. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie. And now it's time for the playlist, which today is a bit about pruning although you're not supposed to do it at this time of year. So so you help me figure that out. Just keep listening and we'll sort it out. Steph was so helpful. She, when you see her on Instagram, she's really more about the gorgeous, glamorous, elegant look in her containers. Not too glitzy, but not so earthy either. I wouldn't call myself Mother Earth on this topic or for that matter, any other. But how about lazy and cheap? Yes, yes, that works for me. I just love wandering around my own garden and shopping there for whatever I see. Here's a good formula that may work for you with some very simple things that you might have growing in your yard. Cut a bunch of short boxwood tips 
like sort of a, and make it sort of a ruff or a collar around the bottom of a container. On top of that, go with something very contrasting, like the green and brown Magnolia grandiflora. Oh, the ones that do really well with that deep brown color on the backside are Bracken's Brown Beauty, but also Little Gem and Teddy Bear, which I have a little, a couple little tiny teddy bears in my yard. They're good too. They're they're pretty brown, but Bracken's Brown Beauty is really brown. And then above that, go with another rough, like another contrasting. How about some dried hydrangea heads? You know, just stick them all in, all around. So you have three rows. And then how about for the thriller, stick in a dozen or so of your red twig dogwood twigs. So if you don't grow these particular things, go over to your neighbor's house and start cutting. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, you know, you can make friends with somebody by knocking on their door and asking if you can cut a few little things that they would never miss or maybe make something for them. Or just use your imagination in your yard. You're going to mound the soil and wet it a bit. Remember, just like she said, and also remember that this is an arrangement that can, depending on wind and sun, last for a couple of months. So do a good job and stick things in well so that they stay in those winter winds. The Hunt Country Gardeners that work up in the Washington area, I'm going to put a link to them on the show notes and also that secondhand store called Verve in Richmond, which so they do have some crazy wreaths to look at. So I'll put a link to that one too. I had a question from my friend Robin, who was asking about me taking down my mums, and she said, okay, so it's the right time to do that, and then could I do the peonies too? Remember that at this time of year, you can take down nothing or anything or some. The more you leave, the better the habitat for native bugs and that sort of thing. But also, as I talked about at the beginning of the show, that just might not suit your aesthetic, and your aesthetic is important. This is your garden. So take down whatever you want to take down. In that particular video that she looked at, I took down my mom's because I wanted to finish planting my depressingly small little violas along my front path. Those are the ones that I was complaining about last week. I am not at all convinced that they're going to amount to anything, and they certainly aren't bringing any joy to my heart right now. This was a bad decision on my part. Forget these flats. I'm going to go for six-inch plants next time. Lesson learned. So then I kept taking things down in front because, as I said earlier, that's the look I want in that part of my garden at this time of year. But you make your decisions based on what you like and what you like to see. Let's talk about pruning for a minute or for a couple of minutes. So, as I've reiterated several times, it is not a good time of year to do a big pruning job. But as you often hear, the best time to prune is when your pruners are sharp and when you have time. Um, But let's go over some information that will help you decide about what to prune and when. You heard me mention my green meatballs. Those are the Ilex Cronata Japanese hollies that look like boxwoods out front. I cut those down so low when I decided that, you know, all right, you're either going to play my little game or you're going to die. So that's fine. You choose. I cut them down to eight inches and they were about four feet tall. So they had no right to live and yet they did. And so I said, okay, thank you for playing my game. And I made them into balls and they, they're pretty round. I mean, it's I'm not perfect at that. Like if you've ever followed James Todman on Instagram, oh my gosh, he is so talented, but they're round enough for me and they do make me happy. So they got to stay and play my game in the garden. A lot of plants bound back from this thing very gratefully if you hack at them very viciously. Things such as hollies, boxwoods, azaleas, rhododendrons, but any plant can surprise you. So the decision-making process that you should probably go through before doing a rejuvenation or very harsh pruning is something like this. And I've had this conversation with myself and with clients before. The plant's no good. Um, And it's easy. It's easy if you just hate the plant. Big, small, well-behaved or not, you hate it. Easy. Dig it out. Case closed. 
Okay, the second thing to consider. You're okay with the plant, but you hate the way it looks. So do we replace it or do we start again? Think about the healthy, mature root system that's there. If it's an ailing plant, if something's wrong with it, then just go back to step one, get rid of it. But if it's a really mature root system with just a funky, oversized plant, you can decide to take it all the way down, like by half or even more, that eight inches I was talking about, you know, 18 inches, so that you can start to shape it and get back the plant that you used to love. So the upside of this is that you have not gone to the trouble of digging out a large root ball and that you have not spent your money on a new plant. The downside of this is that you will be looking at sticks, sticks, not foliage, for about a year, depending on the plant and depending on what you've done. And the other possible downside is that you can't guarantee it. I mean, any plant may up and die at any time, but at least you tried and you didn't waste anything but a bit of time. You didn't waste the money and you didn't dig it out before you knew that the experiment was going to work or not. So this is the one time of year not to do rejuvenation pruning. The plant will become very alarmed and just want to produce more of itself. That's what pruning does. It makes a plant say, oh, I better grow because <laughs> there's less of me and I need there to be more of me. It's as stressed as hell. And if it does manage to pop out a bit of growth just before our freezing temperatures, well, that's going to stress it more. So the optimal time to do rejuvenation pruning is in winter, in dormancy. And of course, that depends on where you live. If you live in Canada, that might be now. Uh, down here in Virginia, that's more like January, February. Early spring is also good. Give the plant time to recover. So I would say any time from October to Christmas is not optimal, depending on where you live. All right, let's get more cheerful and talk about what you can prune. You can always prune anything that's dead or diseased or about to whack you in the face. You can always prune little bits of green or red twig or yellow twig or blue cedar berries to bring in for decorations or to use those outdoor pots for decorations. And speaking of blue cedar berries, no, I have not had the nerve to hack at the UVA sidewalk impinging cedar that I talked about last week, and I'm not sure that I will, but it's still in my head. So anything that you want to bring inside or have as those outdoor pots for decorating, go ahead, a few snips on every plant, it's not going to hurt it. Your plants will let you take bits of them away to decorate. They know it's that time of year and they just won't mind. Little bits don't matter and tough established plants can take more abuse than new babies. So use your head. If it's a rare conifer that you just planted, no touchy, no touchy that plant. But if it's a ligustrum that you want to get rid of anyway, and you should want to get rid of ligustrum because they are really invasive, um, then hack away. And those are beautiful decorations. Think about your cut. Crotch pruning is almost always the best look. So imagine that you want a few tips of the Arizona Cypress Carolina Sapphire to stick in with your magnolia leaf, say. Don't just cut the tip. Follow the branch back to the first crotch, or if you want a big chunky piece, follow it all the way back down to the trunk and cut there. Why? Um, it doesn't really hurt the plant horticulturally, but it's just leaving something that's ugly. It, it looks, quite frankly, like it's been cut. It looks unnatural. I used to call them candlesticks. As I was training new crew members when I worked professionally, I would set them to work on a pruning task. And basically, if when they were finished, I could see any of their work, well, then they weren't done. And I would just point out nicely, just like, okay, so this needs to go in lower, you know, maybe not all the way down to the trunk of the shrub, but someplace where we just can't see it. Make your cuts disappear to keep your plant looking beautiful and natural. It would be like taking a bite out of a Christmas cookie and putting it back on the tray. Nobody wants to see that. Either eat it all or not at all. What to listen to? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go.
Take a look at five and ten. Listening once again. Okay, please don't be scared. I didn't sing for very long, and Johnny Mathis kept me almost on key. I'm actually kind of a Scrooge. I'm not I'm not really into talking about holidays all the time, so you are not going to have three more weeks of Christmas episodes on this podcast. And in fact, next week, I'm going to be interviewing the very interesting Carolyn Mullet of Carrick's Tours, Garden Tours in Europe. And the only thing Christmassy about that is that you may want to give yourself the present of one of her fabulous tours in 2022. So come back and listen to what she has to say next week. If you have any questions or comments or corrections, please reach out to me at Instagram. I am Leslie Harris LH or my website, lhgardens.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter there too. It comes out monthly, so it's not too bothersome. A little bit of good information. I want to thank CB Anana or CB Anana, maybe CB Anana. Yeah, for this review that she wrote, well, he or she wrote back in August about the podcast, fantastic show that encourages gardening on the level that makes sense for you. Great interviews with interesting guests. Thanks for that, C. Banana or C.B. Anana or whatever your name is, but I, I really appreciate that. I already asked you to do something, which is to sign up for my newsletter. All right, full on. I'm going to ask you for three things, <laughs> three things this week, and you can do all or none because I'm not your mama. Um, You can sign up for my newsletter on my website, lhgardens.com. You can give me a review on Apple or Spotify. And then guess what? Hey, so here, I started a YouTube channel. So far, I'm just dumping old videos on it. But if you are new to me, there are some tips that won't be old to you. So I'll put the link in the show notes. But I think that if you type in Leslie Harris and gardening, you'll see it. Um, and there's some really good tips there. And there's some also some old videos that I did during the pandemic when people were like, oh, God, I'm so bored with the inside of my house. I'll look at the outside of her house. Um, so there's some fun things in there. So go to YouTube and have a look. I named this show Into the Garden with Leslie because I am really into my garden. Not so much into Christmas, but I was today, wasn't I? And I want to get you into both. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>